Hi, everyone. Kate Smith joins us today for a discussion we have not had around narcissistic abuse. She is a psychotherapist that does individual and group psychotherapy with women. She leads group support psychotherapy sessions for survivors of narcissistic abuse. She uses clinical hypnotherapy and yoga. She's a registered yoga teacher and devoted student of Ayurveda. You'll find out as you listen to the show how she got into doing these kind of group sessions and why they're so necessary and profound. I'm really excited to hear what she has to say, and I'm excited for you to hear it as well. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. I'm strong enough to handle what you throw me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad that you now, you know, after you've heard my introduction of our next guest and you know what her background is, I'm pleased to have you hear her voice. Kate Smith, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I, I want to point out, too, that um, in the email that you sent me about coming on the show, you had um, said that you had listened to an interview with Shahida Arabi on narcissism. And she's one of our she has a podcast on our network. And uh, I I've I think I wrote a foreword for one of her books and um, she's fantastic. So I thought that was interesting and and wonderful. And you also work with Eleanor Payson, who's been on my show as well, who wrote The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists. So we know each other loosely, or we we know the same people that are terrific in this. And today we're going to talk about something I'm really excited about because we've covered so much about narcissistic abuse and things like that, but we haven't talked about the importance the profound uh, healing that can come from doing group therapy related to this kind of abuse. And that's what you wanted to bring to the show. So thank you for that. I do. And I'm really excited to do, to really share about it to a larger audience. You know, I'd have to add the word support Mm. in front of psychotherapy because that's a really important piece. You know, they're very interconnected. Absolutely. So Tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, your work with Eleanor Payson and how it turned into you doing these kinds of support and psychotherapeutic groups. How did that all come about? I will. It was kind of serendipitous. Many years ago, when Eleanor uh, published and released her first book, The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists, um, I had already begun my own private practice, but I read the book and was, of course, profoundly moved by it. Um, both on a personal and a professional level. And I heard that she was giving a little book talk at um, uh, a clinical center here near where I live. So I went and listened and loved it. And I had been thinking a lot about this kind of thing. You know, how do we support the people who struggle so terribly with all of the symptoms and side effects of this relationship? So I'd been thinking already about support. Like, how do we do this? And Um, I approached her at the end of her great book talk and never met her in my life and was going to have her autograph my book. And I asked her, um, have you ever thought of 
starting support groups for people like this. And I had not read the very, very last section of her book, but that's exactly what she had intended to do. And I, you know, I kind of went home and was happy to meet her. And she literally reached out to me the next day and asked if we would meet for coffee. And that be has, you know, began a very, very long, um, almost 10 year relationship because what we did from there was we began to mount a, um, a seminar, uh, which is actually the name of her second book, which is Discovering the Healthy Self. And these seminars were informative and, of course, educational and um, focused on the recovery of the individual in these relationships. And if you came, and believe me, people came from all over the world. So if you came to this workshop, you could seamlessly go into our support group. And it was a drop-in support group at the time. And um, so, you know, you kind of threw whatever it was in the hat. And Ellie and I co-facilitated this ongoing support group for survivors of narcissistic abuse every other weekend. And then we did these workshops several times a year. And eventually, <laughs> I decided to take a sabbatical to do something else. And uh, with her blessings, I, you know, continued my own practice, of course. And um, when, you know, a couple of years went by, she was the one actually who encouraged me to start my own group. And I did. Yeah, yeah. We've really been soul sisters on this journey. <laughs> but my I remember is, you, you, um, didn't know, you didn't know that I had met her in person. And I, I was, did not. Yeah, and I was actually at her office. I have uh, I have a client that um, is now one of my co-hosts on the network for our mental health business show in Michigan. So I was like, well, I'm here anyway. I might as well have lunch with Eleanor. So that was lovely to to get to meet her in person and have a nice lunch. Yeah, it is. She's like the good fairy, huh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's a very encouraging, also supportive um, person, and it's been, you know, really rewarding to send my own clients, um, who I may not think are ready for my group, to hers. And um, so that leads me into sharing that my group is, and my groups have been, um, different than hers in that mine are a big commitment, because it is a psychotherapy slash support group. So you're not dropping in. You are making a commitment uh, for the long haul, however long that is. And we meet once a week. It's all women for an hour and a half. I'm on my second round of women. We've been together for four years. And we're actually coming to a close. They're all processing that, which is not easy, on April 15th. Wow, that's astounding. That's astounding. <laughs> Tell us why, you know, what if, I mean, there's so much to dive into, but there is. a lot of um, people that go through this kind of abuse, uh, you, you know, and our, our listeners are already well-educated on what this is. So we don't need to, you know, explain what narcissistic abuse is. They all know, but some of them are really reticent to doing some kind of a group therapy situation mm -hmm. because of the nature of the abuse. So I wonder if you could talk, you know, speak to that. Why? I mean, you know, there are group therapy sessions for sexual abuse and physical abuse and all kinds of different abuse. And to have one about this, some people are specifically reticent about joining a group about this because of the nature of the abuse. So can you explain why from your clinical perspective? Yeah, of course. And you hit, you hit it spot on. There is such a reticence, and I think it's deeply rooted in the shame mm -hmm. that the survivor feels. There is so much shame that comes from deeply rooted core beliefs. So it is very important to establish a safe emotional environment. I think that the unique piece about my group is that they are, that all of the women, except for people who are referred to me, which are usually clients of therapists that I'm working with, um, are my clients. And any who aren't come and meet with me first. So they are already have that safe feeling because they have the container of their individual psychotherapy to, to work from. 
So they have a degree of trust. However, that first night, that group comes together, and it's everyone's first night. So everyone is there, you know, all experience the jitters of the first night is, is, you know, anxious and nervous and probably fearful. But the safety does come from having done quite a bit of work in their individual treatment with me. But yeah, the reticence is is just horrible shame. And, uh, you, you know, um, it's it can be daunting. It can be paralyzing to feel that kind of shame. I mean, Brené Brown, you know, our, our wonderful writer, of, one of many who writes about shame, describes it so beautifully that you can be, feel like you're being swallowed up by the earth. And so ushering them, uh, ushering these women into the group is a gentle and delicate process. And the group unfolds very slowly with care and compassion and a great, great regard for their process. Yeah. And you know what I think is interesting, too, with this kind of um, abuse and, you know, the listeners have heard me going through these stages on my own show um, because I definitely went through, you know, every stage of narcissistic abuse. And I went through it at uh, multiple times because, you know, (laughs) I do. (laughs) There's a rare lucky person that meets one horrible narcissist and that's it okay I don't I don't know who the you that unicorn is but uh but there are I've heard of them and that was not my case at all I get it we call them the clinkers (laughs) like oh dear okay and and I felt like if I went to a group I would be Mm -hmm. so triggered that I might I would be scanning Mm -hmm. the room for which one of them is a narcissist and is in this group because you are in that place for a long time of there's a sociopath on every corner (laughs) you know so that's part of it too and and if you're in a if you're in a you know a support group for domestic uh, violence in terms of physical Uh abuse you aren't necessarily looking around the room going who's going to hit me in this group it's so much it's not better or worse it's just when it's psychological component yes thank you yes yes Yes. but that's why um, the key piece is that they are a client of mine or a client who has been working for quite some time with another uh, therapist and there are some requirements that they do reading that they're you know that there's education and, you know, there is the trust because they do know me. So I'm the common denominator. <laughs> so I, I do think um, the women who've come to the group actually feel quite safe, quite safe rather quickly. That's, yeah, and I'd say that's what a wonderful way that you set that up. Let's talk about kind of, you know, without, obviously, you're not going to, you know, divulge information about, um, about these individual people, but what have you seen in terms of their healing in comparison to people who say that maybe see you for therapy and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for a group. That's not something I'm ever going to be interested in or whatever. Is there a difference that you see there has to be between the ones that say, okay, I, I, I will, I will do this. Well, I think, you know, the people who sort of sign on they have a readiness that they haven't even really tapped into. And I've never invited someone in the group who has not um, had that willingness. However, I will say that when we gather (laughs) that first evening, there are people who aren't meant to be there and they do leave the group rather quickly. So those that are meant to stay and those that are meant to walk in this path and become part of this very intimate, you know, circle of, of compassion, um, stay. And, you know, that, that's not in my hands. That's divinely ordered. Um, so if there is still that reticence, that resistance when they come to group, um, then they do, you know, trickle out very quickly. So, and, and I will say, it's interesting that you asked this question because I'm reflecting like in my mind, okay, who's left? And they have never been my client. They've been someone else that they're working with who was referred to me. So that's, that's an interesting piece that probably when I am the common denominator, um, there is a trust, a trust. There is, there have been several that have been other therapists, clients, but I think they were just 
ready to do the work. Right. And I did meet with them several times before. Okay. But um, I think you were asking about, um, like, maybe someone's experience in the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just, yeah, that is, yeah. because, you know, people are curious as to like, well, what happens in these groups yeah. and why would Absolutely. I want to, what is it going to do for me more <laughs> than just seeing my therapist, that kind of thing. I know what it does, right. but, you know, maybe our listeners right. would be thinking that. Right, right. Well, the beauty of group is that the survivor of narcissistic abuse is typically so starved for deep empathy and they're so undernourished emotionally that when you land in group, you really feel that rather quickly um, because everybody is in the same spot. Um, everybody's on a different path, in a different place perhaps in their journey, but everyone wants everyone else to be a winner. Everyone else wants each other to heal. And I think that comes from me as a facilitator as I set what would be called group norms. Um, we're working to have conscious connection, to have emotional authenticity, um, to begin to be very curious about one another in a way that is helpful and healing and supportive. We don't give advice. It's a psychotherapy group. There's no intimidation. Um, we're, but we're working towards those foundational pieces that are the, the really the pillars of the group. Those, those four uh, principles, if you will, are actually on these beautiful cards that a group member made and they lay out on the table every week. <laughs> Conscious connection, emotional authenticity, vulnerability, and curiosity. And every week, you know, um, we, we come and we work on, uh, you know, the trauma element right away. I'll do a guided meditation or a guided visualization that helps group members stay grounded because in the beginning, if you're at the very beginning of your journey, and I'm very careful, once again, not to bring someone in the group who's just way too raw and vulnerable. You know, you have to right. really have just your footing. But um, make no mistake, when you get there, you could be in the middle of a crisis. And that's right. why the group is so powerful, because the group members walk through it with you side mm. by side. That's so amazing. as an example, you were just, um, you know, being curious. <laughs> um, I'm thinking, you know, first, I have to let you know that the women in the group um, have given me their permission um, not to speak, of course, like you said, directly about them, but in mm -hmm. process-oriented language to share, because right. if they do listen, and I hope they do, because they're proud of their work, and something sounds familiar, that they've they've given me their permission. I wouldn't do that without. And I want to say thank you to to those women, if you're listening, for allowing that, because it's you have no idea how many people are going to hear this, and um, and that you're going to help by allowing um, Kate to share this information. That really touches me. Thank you for acknowledging that. I think they know that long before this even occurred because we all stand and carry a message in our own quiet way and deliberate sometimes as well. You just never know when your story will be of tremendous benefit to someone else who's suffering. But as an example, I'm thinking of like, you know, there are very high risk variables and high-risk situations when someone is still in a relationship, even if they're no contact or low contact with a narcissistic individual. And there have been women in the group who have been married to or have spent an extended period of time to very, very difficult, dangerous individuals. Um, they may not be axe murderers, but make no mistake about it, their narcissism is devastating. And we have had to usher them to implement PPOs, to seek legal counsel, to seek shelter. Um, mm -hmm. Women in the group yeah, have gone with each other to the courtroom, oh yeah, and stood there beside them when, for instance, the first hearing for the, you know, the separation of the PPO, it's going to end and it, nobody wants it to end. And they're, you know, reluctant to go to court because the narcissist could be there. 
And what, I know, just so our listeners know, what does PTO stand yeah. for? Uh, a PPO, um, a sure. police protection order, which okay. is for an individual's safety if they feel that the individual has the potential to harm them or has demonstrated any behavior, including over texting, email, you know, which mm. would be con- considered stalking, phone right. calls, repeated, you know, intrusive behavior. And I would and, imagine, you know, too, they're, they're there for each other when, because it does happen, attorneys, judges, the police, other people don't believe that they don't believe them. That's correct. That is beyond correct. My hope and my, just my vision is to continue to speak about this. And so all of the people above, and honestly, other therapists, not that I am, uh, you know, um, assuming anything, but it is a very delicate area of expertise. And there have been women who have been very wounded through the projection of a therapist that is not adept at this, for instance, in a couple session. And I worry when my clients, uh, in the beginning, if they have to go or they're not in my group, and you know, I'm just getting to know them, and they could be going to couples therapy, and I know that they're married to a narcissistic individual. I mean, I got the radar. <laughs> and... Um, so I worry uh, about that. Of course that. you do. <laughs> <laughs> I worry. I'm worrying right now about a young client I have whose spouse is asking for what's called a controlled separation. Well, I think we all know who's in control of that. Wow. Not happy. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I did that for a girlfriend uh, going through sheer hell. Um $500,000 plus dollars, uh, to get through a divorce and yeah. then custody battle. And I, I dropped everything to come down yeah. and be there for Good. her to testify, you know, and uh, that yeah. she's not this horrible person. And you know what? She turned right around with me when I went through. It wasn't, well, it was kind of, Anyway, it was a different kind of a situation than she was going through, and she did the same thing for me. I want you to pack a bag right now and get to my house mm-hmm. immediately. And that that's mm-hmm. the kind of bonds, listeners, that we're talking about that get created when you right. get a sisterhood like this together. It, that's exactly it. It is indeed a sisterhood, a sacred sisterhood, sacred indeed. Yeah. And there are safety plans that we walk through. Um, they're all on a thread on their phones. It's completely private. I'm not part of the thread, of course, mm. but they're very much in close contact with each other. The exposure to um, a narcissist, can, you know, a, a former narcissist, a former, a person who's a narcissist who you're out of relationship with can be devastating, even if it's in the parking lot. So that's a big reason to drive to um, the finalization of a divorce or like I said, a PPO or an injunction because this individual could be in the parking lot. And it's not only men. Uh, the demographic of my group is not only, you know, women who are married, they're single mm-hmm. women. There's women who are married to women. There's mo- uh, daughters of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mothers who mothers are narcissistic individuals. And that I think is the hardest and one of the most experience, right? Well, you know, we don't do this work because we're not personally familiar with it. So I can tell you that for myself, of yeah. course, of course, that's why the discovery of Ellie and her book have given me really just uh, such, such an opportunity to grow as a human verse, a uh, human being. No, I but, read her. Um, I read her second book. Of course, she sent it to me, and I was like, I was like, <laughs> so. But please tell our listeners the name of it, just in case they don't know. Yes, it is um, the healthy self and meaningful resistance to toxic narcissism. So, discovering the healthy self and meaningful resistance to toxic narcissism. Mm. So. Um, Another example, um, I, if you want to hear, <laughs> it's a profound example, I think, of a young woman who came to our group just traumatized and, and her anxiety and depression was profound and her mother was 
very narcissistic. I feel funny saying very, you know, it's like her mother was a narcissistic personality disordered individual. And of course, as she untangled that and it became clear, her level of contact had to go to no contact. And the beauty of this story and why I'm telling it is that this beautiful 28-year-old girl had great difficulty you know, disconnecting completely from her mother. There were other very traumatic um, events in her life and in her parents' life. She was the only child left in the family, the threesome. So there was a lot of guilt to reconcile with that, you know, her parents, that was it. Her brother had uh, taken his life when they were younger in their teens. It was very difficult. But they, you know, the wounding and the treatment of their only daughter was so profound and so careless and and abusive that that was the choice she made. And the beautiful part of this is that she just got married two months ago to her partner and all of us in the group created, including myself, a sacred ceremony for her um, that we you know, uh, did with her as a ritual in her bridal suite um, before she went and married her partner. And her mother clearly was not invited, wasn't there, and there was security at the wedding. Yeah, I, I relate to that totally. I'm no contact with my mother. I, of course, hope, like many daughters do, that that's not um, going to be the, you know, the end of things. But um, of course, I don't hope, like pining away hope because I did come to a place of, you know what? And with my therapist um, who understands this, there's some, there's something profound listeners out, you know, uh, I know many of you have been to therapists that have you educate them more than uh, you know, about narcissistic abuse uh, because they, they, a lot of them don't know what it is. So it's so profound when you sit down with one that goes, Oh yeah, gaslighting. Yeah, triangulation. Yeah, flying monkeys. Mm-hmm. You're just like, ha, ah. mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So Let's add the double say. bind in there. Right. The double bind is key. Lose, lose. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, and it's heartbreaking. So, yeah. It's it's heartbreaking, and it's a process of grief. But you're not going through it alone when you're in a group. Because, and that's that's the key. That's the magic. Because people don't understand what shoes you're walking in and you can't speak about it first of all it's terrifying you're you know you're full of fear and the words don't connect in the la- you know in recovery from abuse we're developing a whole new language to speak about this and of course all the authors some of whom you've interviewed and i've just gobbled up your interviews Kristen. i've loved them oh, thank um, you. you know i told you when when we talked before in this interview that i was really late to the game here with a mental health news radio. And I'm glad because I'm telling my clients, of course, to get on, listen. Thank you. And listen to those early shows. You can go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com and you can click Mm -hmm. on, if you scroll down the page, you'll see access our shows on blog talk radio. When we moved from blog talk radio to Spreaker, we were only allowed to pull over like 300 shows and I had already done like 700 or maybe it was 500. I don't remember, but on blog talk radio and those, cause I've been on the air for years. So I've gone through Ooh. the whole gamut of narcissistic abuse discussions and where I was at the time and my mm-hmm. yeah, things have changed and I've evolved and whatever. So if you want to hear those early shows where uh-huh. I've, in trauma, had different things that I believe than I do now and blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. go back mm-hmm. to those, those early shows. Cause I was, mm-hmm. I did many of them and I was in straight up PTSD dur- during the shows. Wow. I bet it was, you know, healing for you. At oh least my to gosh. Talk about yes. It. Yeah. Absolutely. And you felt like it was being legitimized and normalized. And that's so important to have a language to speak about this. And you can feel shame, like I call it being shame bombed all over again, because you disclose to someone who doesn't understand. (laughs) I felt shame bombed for the every time Mm -hmm. I did a show about narcissistic abuse for the first Mm -hmm. four years of my Mm -hmm. podcast. 
every oh, single I time it's I so felt ashamed. And then I finally, well, I guess enough shows or enough, whatever, enough therapy and working through mm -hmm. things that I finally, now I'm like, I just, that's not even a part of my experience anymore. I just do, do the shows, but I did. I felt Yay. immense shame every single yeah. time. It's part yeah. of the process. Yeah. It is. Mm. So in terms of, you know, this, this group therapy dynamic, how do you handle, if you've had to handle any kind of a situation where there's what I call, and this is my non-clinical term since I'm not a clinician, I call it flea and tick syndrome. And it's when you are, you know, not a narcissist yourself, but you are still, um, you know, you still have a, a Stockholm situation, uh, Stockholm syndrome mm -hmm. situation going on with them. So you've taken on some of their horrid behavior mm -hmm. and you bring that into your other relationships, which definitely causes problems for people trying to go through this healing process. How have you handled anything like that in terms of the group dynamic? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because it is like a brainwashing and you're unconscious that you're actually, you know, responding like this. It's like you're dissociating from yourself and yep. you're in that syndrome. And you're not so even speaking I, with your own words. The person that's talking is the narcissist. It's just coming out of yeah. your mouth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy experience. I think that because we are practicing those principles, these norms of non-judgmental, unconditional, positive regard occur, not without holding a gentle, if that's possible, but yes, a gentle reflection, I was going to say mirror, reflection to the person who might not be aware of it by, by you know, inviting them to try to get in touch with their healthy self as they're literally, as you say, speaking a language that they're not even aware that they're talking. So the comfort of the group or the safety, the sturdiness of it will allow for that healthy confrontation. Um, I think, of course, you know, my role in that is key. I'm going to step up. And there have been times where someone may not be, you know, in the place that you're describing, but in a different place that they require a lot of attention during that particular group. And they get it. A, a person could use the whole group session, an hour and a half. Right. And that's what's meant to be. That's what came in tonight. Um, how, have you so, handled, how, how have you handled situations where... I mean, and I, I see this happen and it's painful and you just have to let that relationship kind of go where it's going to go, where it's someone who stopped doing their work, they run back into dating and this is different. And then they are full up on the yeah. this narcissist that, of course, they're going to get into a, a relationship with because they haven't done their work. Um, and they start behaving like someone you don't recognize. They're making mm -hmm. horrible decisions, you know, right. reckless behavior, reckless behavior, <laughs> staying out till two and three in the morning, not okay. getting enough sleep. Yeah. Their kids are not being yeah. taken care. You know, all these things that they before yeah. were like, I would never. And you <laughs> have to, there's nothing that you can do because I have said, what's happening to you? We have talked about this kind of abuse ad nauseum. You won't stay in therapy. You're now doing all the things that you've told other people not to do, and you're doing it yourself. And they throw up that anger, um, mm -hmm. viciousness, whatever mm -hmm. it is onto me. You just mm -hmm. don't want me to be happy. You don't blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. How, how do yeah. you walk through that yeah. in the group dynamic, yeah. but also in, you know, one-on-one -on -one counseling when you see this happening. Mm -hmm. It's scary. It's like a train wreck. That's mm -hmm. for sure. And um, it, it, it wouldn't, well, I can't say it wouldn't, but it has not happened in group because, you know, when you're in group, like you're going to get called on your stuff long before you're doing reckless behavior. 
So um, that has not happened in group. Um, although sometimes people will start to date again and they'll start talking about it and the group will hold them accountable. That's where the curiosity comes in and the healthy confrontation. But in individual, yes, it does happen frequently. Frequently, because they're not in group. <laughs> and it's scary. And I think that, you know, committing as a, as a therapist for myself, and I'll just speak for me, I'm very cautious to educate, 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 and to remind the client that I will not collude with the narcissist's behavior. I will not collude. It's in the room. It's uncomfortable. And I will, you know, try to really work with what they're giving me. Um, I'll implement, you know, um, readings that I think are profound, <laughs> podcasts that I think are profound. But if it's on repeat and they're crashing and burning, um, I'm going to tell them that I'm impotent. I feel impotent. Wow. And, and they will probably leave therapy. And I'm kind of inviting mm -hmm. them to because it's, it's, they're not ready. Right. And it has happened. It's and amazing not the people that can talk about it and because they've been through it and they can say yeah. that they understand it. And then they do this. They fall in the same mm -hmm. trap and you don't even have to meet the the person that they're dating or they're interested in it you don't even have to know whether that person is really a narcissist or not you can see it in your friend's behavior right right and now because of the influence and the immediacy of the dating apps oh yeah <laughs> that's highly dangerous because you're not even meeting this kind of fictitious person um you know for a while so they've built themselves up to be in, in certain times, you know, sometimes, I'm not going to say all the time, because do, people do find their, their matches, so to speak, you know, pun intended, but their soulmate on these dating apps. But you have to be very cautious because people can present themselves in a way that they are not at all. You could even have another identity. Right. And it's more frightening, you know, than ever. So I, I yeah. hope I answered that. You did. I, I love what you said about, you know, you're impotent. You can't help that person. And as a, as a therapist, that's amazing. I've definitely had therapists come on and say, I just say to that person, I, there's, I, there's nothing that I am able to do to help you. Yeah. Right. It's impotency. You, you're, yes. you're tying my hands yep. and I don't feel good. It's inauthentic for yes. me. And then I feel like I'm trying to convince you or debate yes. you, and I'm trying to talk to the narcissist, not <laughs> to the actual narcissist, not you. Right. You know, I, I'm a very client-centered therapist. I'm an existential humanistic psychotherapist. I'm like having physical responses. Yes. You know, and that's when I know jigs up, times up. No, I got to be honest. That's what I, therapy to me is. I actually remember. Um, you know, babysitting someone's child uh, that they, and just, it was a horrible situation and they never would have allowed what was going on to happen if they weren't in that kind of a relationship or in that need of the thing that's going to heal me is to get into mm -hmm. another relationship um, instead of stay in counseling, do your work go to group therapy. You're not above right. it. I don't care. I don't care if you have a PhD in psychology, uh, you still can be susceptible to this and, and watching yeah. this go on and going, what is happening? This is horrible. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing that you can do. No, there isn't. It's very painful, but that's, you know, my process that I just described. And mm -hmm. even though it's, a painful one, at least for me as a therapist. And, you know, I have this feeling of, of sensitivity for their journey and I release them, you know, to the care right. of the universe and yep. hope that someday, you know, maybe, you know, they are, are passing it again, but that kind of an individual will probably crash and burn At before they, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And that is, again, to take it back to group, why group is profound, because <laughs> these women can sniff them out. Um, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I mean, two and a half years um, after a divorce, I'm thinking of, a, uh, they're all beautiful, but this beautiful woman who's just a phenomenal woman, she has two young daughters, and you know, she's like, I think I'm going to start dating and an individual. I, I agreed. I thought she had a tremendous readiness. You know, and she started dating and like we're all, mm, buzzer, don't know, you know. I, <laughs> I think there's some warning signs here. Yeah. So, you know, it's good to be playful. It's good to, um, you know, feel, like you said in the beginning, the sisterhood. We need to laugh. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of tears. And there's a lot of tears, too. We do a lot of... Um, experiential work in group as well. We do journaling at different yeah. times of Talk the year. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, I, I think that journaling is a profound part of psychotherapy, you know, in individual and, um, you know, in workshops, anytime, because your, your quietness comes to you. You know, your mind is so busy when you're in trauma. You can't think straight. It's busy, you're aggravated, you're anxious, your cortisol is rushing to your brain. Um, that's a lot of the reason why I do the guided meditations in the beginning. Um, I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. There's probably um, an element of clinical hypnotherapy in my voice memos. I do allow the group to, in fact, I invite them, I encourage them to record all of the guided work that I do with them so that they can have it with them all week long. It's on their iPhones. They just put it out on the table. It's like a news conference. <laughs> and I begin every week that way. So that's a grounding tool. And it's, it's right. you know, kind of experiential. People are scared of, of quiet. They're scared mm-hmm. of silence because our minds are just, racing absolutely and and sometimes they can only tolerate a little bit of it so they're not long pieces but the way that's the way I open the group and then Mm. we do a lot of because I have to leave them time to share so I I just do very you know um, kind of what I call user-friendly voice memos they're really never longer than nine or ten minutes and some are five it depends I'm doing them completely organically there's no script it's just me downloading what I need or what I think needs to be said. And then we do a lot of intention setting. Um, So I'm very committed and passionate about intentionality and intentions. I think, quite frankly, it's going to be uh, a word side by side with mindfulness because our goal is not to, you know, be healthy and have a boyfriend or be healthy and have a child. I mean, I encourage that. I encourage it. But they, we set intentions. We write on paper intentions. I hand out paper and pen and um, several times a year at, uh, you know, poignant points of the year, um, whether it's uh, the moon calendar or a holiday (laughs) or, or, you know, we set these intentions and I've talked a great deal about it with the group. And it's about what is your deepest desire and what words reflect that desire? And it may be, I might ask them, as it relates to your growth in group, set an intention about how you wish to be and grow Mm. in group for the end of the year or, you know, whatever you're working on. Uh, set an intention about the intense perfectionism that is driving your more shame-based experiences. Oh, man. You know, um, I, I am actually doing a workshop um, here in Michigan at uh, my yoga studio that is called The Power of Your Intention. And it will meet uh, three Sundays, and it's um, an off-campus, not where I work as a, as a clinician. And I'm, everybody's really excited about it. We'll incorporate the more uh, grounding tools, a little bit of yoga, mindfulness. Um, I will be giving, you know, what I just described, guided meditations, uh, voice memos to the participants to have after they participate. But leading back to group, the intentions are an ongoing part of group work. And it's kind of mixed emotions now because they just set intentions about how they wish to kind of roll 
up to April 15th where the group will come to an end after four years. Yeah. It's a lot of tears. I could cry. <laughs> it's a lot for me. I have to go to my own supervisor to process it. That's so great. And I can't, uh, I can't stress enough. Uh, you know, listen, you know, you can be someone who has a degree in counseling, you know, LCSW master's degree in psychology, whatever it is, you can be a PhD, yeah. you can be a psychiatrist mm -hmm. And no one is immune to getting sucked into these relationships. And often the um, kind of like uh, the doctor or the nurse that makes a horrible patient, it can be those that are in the mental health profession who won't stick it out with therapy because they always know more than the therapist. And mm. those can be some of the hardest ones mm. to finally really dig in and deal with their stuff. Mm -hmm. So they stop. really work. Yes, exactly. Crack, so I, I love that you said. That yes, I love that you said supervision because yeah, um, you know that's mm -hmm. you have to mm -hmm. as a counselor go and and have supervision and have mm -hmm. someone else be able to tell you the truth about mm -hmm. you know what's, what's going, going on. on. Yeah. Oh yeah, I have a wonderful supervisor who also does group work. In fact, we meet in her office because she has a large group because she does a lot of group work. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate the care and concern with which she has offered me in, you know, the most compassionate, empathic way. And she's been with me all along. So she knows what we're going through as a group. And um, I'm happy to have her. Yeah, absolutely. So as we, you know, um, wind this one down, how would mm -hmm. you say, I mean, what, what is it that you're going to do next after this? And I'm not pushing you to have an answer because <laughs> you may not have one yet, but uh, these are important. I wish these were everywhere, these groups. I wish I would have had one, although I had a, oh my God, when I was a teenager, I had the most profound experience in a group for incest survivors, and it just changed my life. I'm so grateful. Wow. It was with 15 women and it was incredible. But, yeah. um, you know, those are, those are hard to find, especially for this kind of abuse, narcissistic abuse. So what, what do you see as, you know, your maybe a plan going forward about doing <laughs> more of these and starting yeah. that process from the beginning again with people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think we talked um, when we first met that uh, you know, I think I need to, I want to speak to a larger audience. And I myself, of course, personally set a very, very strong intention. Um, and I really did not know an intention about myself and uh, where I was at in my professional life and uh, my age and what I'm doing and what my personal needs were in terms of self-care. And I didn't really know what was going to manifest from that intention. But lo and behold, I'm talking to you. <laughs> and somebody right. led me to you. <laughs> so right. um, I don't know where this will lead me, but I would very much like to continue talking to larger audiences. Mm -hmm. You and I had even talked about perhaps, you know, um, making a, a format like a, a seminar that uh, people mm -hmm. come to, to talk therapists, uh, professionals um, who want to learn more about how to facilitate a support slash psychotherapy group for um, survivors of narcissistic abuse. And that would be wonderful. And if I'm, you know, feeling after I close this group and I process that, that I want to start another one, I probably will. I'm already being encouraged to do so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my clinical director would like to have seen me run three at a time. Oh I just my don't gosh. have to chase in my in my calendar because it's uh, I'm I'm just so booked. We well, all that are. and and it's it's a it you know uh, mm -hmm. it takes a lot. It's a big commitment. A counselor yeah. to yeah. It do, is. It's a big do. commitment. It's, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I can't even we'll fathom doing. But I would welcome um, anyone who is listening to this and who would like to get in touch with me to please do that. I would be so willing to talk with someone who would like to start a group like this, um, you know, or have readiness to do so and has done their own work. And um, so I'm open to that. We'll see what happens, Kristen. But yeah. your inviting me to talk with you has really filled my heart. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. I same right back at you. <laughs> um, tell our listeners, you know, where they can find you and uh, find, you know, okay. more about what you're doing. Okay. Well, I will, um, I guess, give you the website of mm -hmm. the Birmingham Maple Clinic here in Michigan, where there is still snow on the ground. Um, <laughs> and that, that website, um, you know, will have my bio, some information about me. You can see our clinic. And that is www.birminghammaple.com. One word, lower cap letters, one more time. www.birminghammaple.com. The M's meet in the middle. And I, I think I will give my email address. Is, okay, is that sure. okay? Because I, I don't have my own website or stuff like that. So it is Kate Smith at BirminghamMaple.com. And just Kate so, yeah. Smith. Yeah, lower Just so everyone knows it's Birmingham K, Maple. not C for yes. Kate. Thank you. Kate, thank you so much for doing this. I'm I'm honored that you reached out. I'll I'll send a shout out to um well Shahida will listen to this show anyway because she listens oh, to the show. Oh, that would be wonderful. So, so oh, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, you know, we're both sisters with her too. Now we have a little circle going and all the people that you've talked to. Yeah, all of them, they're we really they're amazing. Yeah, we really do. So thank you so much for coming on to do this. Yeah. And um, I hope I hope you'll come on again. I would love to stay in touch. Bye. Absolutely. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.